Well, it is good to be back with uh, you good people at Stonington Baptist Church. I always enjoy being with you. We were actually with you 10 months ago at uh, the uh, church-wide uh, picnic, if you recall, uh, August of last year. And as uh, he was making that announcement, I was thinking, that sounds good. We may have to just drive back up for that uh, and uh, be with you once again. We uh, had such a great time uh, last year, and, uh, and that's such a great thing for uh, a church body to do and, and something different, and, and I'm glad that you folks uh, participate in, in that. Uh, and so I hope that, that you will uh, participate in it. So it's good to see you this morning. And uh, let's take our Bibles and let's turn once again to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. I have entitled this message, From the Valley to the Mountaintop and Back Again. From the Valley to the Mountaintop and Back Again. And I, I believe, do you, have your, do you have your outlines there? Okay. Um, I think those were passed out. And um, they've got some blanks in them. Now, here, here's the thing. If I, if I move quickly and, and, or if I happen to skip over a blank, I know that's going to drive some of you crazy, all right? But don't worry. You can see me afterwards, and I'll try to fill it in uh, and, uh, and, and help you out with that. So don't, don't get discouraged if we, if we uh, go past that. My, my wife and daughter tell me all the time, uh, I missed that one. What is it? You know, so... Uh, that, that's, that's okay. If you don't want your outline, uh, don't, my, my rule of thumb about outlines is this, and my folks at our church know this, don't throw it away here at church, okay? There's, there's nothing more discouraging than for a pastor or teacher to see his outline in the trash can in the men's room, okay? All right, so, and I had that rule for my students when I taught school. You know, if I prepared something for them, uh, the rule was I better not see it in the trash can in the classroom. I don't care what you do outside the classroom. So if you want to take it and you don't want to, you know, use it and you want to make sure your shredder at home is still in working condition when you get home, uh, that's fine with me, okay? Uh, but uh, just don't throw it away here. All right, Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah is a prophet, I believe, uh, with whom most believers can identify. In fact, he is my, if I had to choose a favorite prophet, it would be Jeremiah. And the reason is, is that his humanity, with all of its glaring fears and failures, which are always near the surface of his prophecy, it's always there. We can read it. We can see it. He is one with whom we can identify. He is called the what? The weeping what? The weeping prophet. There's good reason for that. As we see all throughout this prophecy and in the book that follows, which of course is the book of Lamentations, we find that, that in this particular tra- chapter, nowhere is it more true than we see the human side of Jeremiah than in this particular chapter. Here we find that the prophet and his message had become unpopular throughout all Jerusalem and, 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 and Judah, for that matter. In other words, he was an unpopular preacher. I think, again, as I ponder Jeremiah and I think about him in, in relation to the day in which we live, I think that Jeremiah is much like many preachers today. Or, we could say it this way, we can identify as preachers with Jeremiah in the conditions and in the context in which 
he preached in his day. It's very similar. And one of the things that you'll find uh, as you read Scripture and you study history is that these folks back in this day, though we're separated by time and culture, folks, they're not much different than we are. They're, they're closer than we think. They were made of flesh and blood. They had the same uh, experiences in life that we do. They had their highs and their lows. And we'll see that in the prophet himself in this passage. Well, we see that he was experiencing firsthand what God had warned him about in the very first chapter of the prophecy. Chapter 1 of Jeremiah is a very interesting and fascinating chapter. He is ordained to the ministry. He's called by God uh, in, in, the, uh, in the context, again, of God's sovereign grace and God's will for his life. God says, I've ordained you to this. Jeremiah says, I don't know if I can do it. I'm too young. And, and he says, don't say that. I'm going to give you the words to say, you simply go, you carry out what I have commissioned you to do. That was quite an ordination. And he said, oh, and by the way, don't be dismayed by their faces. How would you like to have that as an ordination for a pastor? We want you to go, do what God wants you to do, but don't pay attention to how they look at you. You preach anyway. He said, I'm going to give you the words to say. And Jeremiah says, okay. And if you know anything again about this prophet, if you studied him in your Bible reading, in your Bible study, we know this is that here was a man who had a very difficult ministry. In fact, I would say this, Jeremiah never really saw revival and he never really reaped the fruit that might be expected of such a man in his entire life. By human terms, we would say that perhaps he was a failure, especially as we tend to judge people, but he was not. He kept his mind and his eyes on the Lord. And as this chapter opens, we we see that the prophet is under uh, even more scrutiny from the people. Specifically, he is in the custody of temple officials. He's in the valley as we begin this chapter. But as the record progresses, the prophet expresses confidence in the Lord with an outburst of praise. We read those verses, and we find him going to the summit before plunging back down again. You know what we see again in the life of Jeremiah is we see again a life lived in a very ordinary way. Here was, here was a man who had his ups and his downs. You know what we like in our life where we desire? We desire life to be a linear progress, smooth, from this point to this point. And it's one linear line. We would love to have life that way, but you and I both know that life isn't that way. How is life? If you were to graph it on a paper, life is like what? It is up and it's down and it's way up and then it may be way down and then it's up again. And life is that way, isn't it? And what do we do if life is that way, which it is? We learn how to keep our focus on God in between the highs and the lows. Because that's the way life is. And life will never be that smooth uh, thing that we want this side of eternity. It will be when the Lord returns. Are you looking forward to that day? And only then. 
But in the meantime, we have to learn how to live. We have to learn how to live this life that is up and down. Well, let me say this before we get into the sections of this chapter. And that's this, is that the the first two main points here of the message, they're going to give the background and the reason for the traversal. And what I mean by that, again, is we find him in the valley, he goes to the summit, and then, again, like life as we say, he goes back down again. Why is that? Well, we'll see. I've divided this chapter into three sections. In the first uh, section, verses 1 and 2, we have the persecution of the prophet, the persecution of the prophet. There was opposition to his message. Now, that, that is not unusual for a prophet. But we see that it is very intense in the life of Jeremiah. And in order to get a, a context, I want to actually back up into uh, the previous chapter. Look at the last verse of chapter 19, which is verse 14. And this is going to give us a little context of what's going on as we begin the 20th chapter. Then Jeremiah came from Tophet. Now, let me stop there for just a moment. If you don't know what that is, and we don't have time to look at it this morning, but Tophet was an area in Jerusalem. It, is, it was associated with the Valley of Hinnom. Now, the Valley of Hinnom, as it describes it there in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 through 33, is where they had the high places where they offered sacrifices unto false gods. And it also mentions the fact that it was probably what was going on there also was child sacrifice. It was a bad place, in other words. And here Jeremiah goes to this area, and notice what he does. It says, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of the host of the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city and all her towns all the doom that I have pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words." That is not popular preaching. And so, notice what happens. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 20, Now Pashur, the son of Immer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah had prophesied these things. Then Pashur struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. So there was opposition to his message, and the source of it was Pashur and the, the, the temple authorities, who should have known better. They should have known what? Two things. They should have known God's word. They should have been familiar with it. They should have been sensitive to it. His commands, his prophecies, his warnings in the word... But the problem that Israel had over and over in its history, and you can read this in the New Testament, is that they neglected the Word of God. And isn't it interesting when you study the historical narratives of these kings uh, and these prophets who prophesied during that time that they had to go and discover the Word of God. There were several occasions where they had to go into the temple and they were doing some spring cleaning And uh, that was the case when the great king, the young king Josiah, came to the throne. You remember that story and that account? 
And they were, they, were, they were revitalizing the temple, which they should have done a long time ago. And by the way, when God's house begins to fall into disrepair, both spiritually and physically, there's problems in that nation. And it always will be. And here they were doing some revitalization of the temple. And they go in, they find a scroll, and they, they blow the dust off of it. And they discover, you know what? This is God's word. <laughs> wow. And they start to read it, and they're immediately convicted. And there was cycle after cycle of this thing. They should have known, and it was neglected. Listen, no nation will ever be prosperous if they neglect God's word and God's commands. And we're in that same state right here in the United States of America. That's where we are. And I think that has spilled over into the church. Listen, Christian, you and I will never be successful in our walk with God if we relegate the Word of God to Sunday only. And that's the problem that we have in many, many cases around the nation. The Word of God has to be central. Young people, listen. You have got to make the Word of God central in your life. It is everything to us. That's the only way to be successful. And of course, the other thing, they were leading the people in the correct spiritual direction. They were neglecting all of that. And they had gotten to the point where they were, in fact, persecuting the messenger, Jeremiah. And Pashur, what an interesting individual. He was the temple executive given the task of keeping order. And spiritually speaking, it was all out of order. He was neglecting an important task. What was the reason for, in number two, what was the reason for the opposition? Well, it was obviously Jeremiah's preaching. It was Jeremiah's preaching. And what was he preaching? Well, many of the prophet's messages, again, we would not have time this morning to go back and look at specific instances. But, here, but, a, but a list of the, some of the warnings and specific sins for which Jeremiah preached as, as really his, his prophecy is a series of sermons. And what were they? Well, number one, the sin of pride. The sin of pride something for which we all battle every single day that we live. The sin of lust is number two. The sin of apathy, the the don't care attitude. And of course, sins of the heart. And we find specifically, he, he goes into that in chapter 17. Now take a look at that list for a moment. We can say again that every civilization, every individual within those civilizations have difficulty with all of those things. And they do not like to hear the fact that we've got problems with it. Again, his message was not popular. Preaching, for the most part, has never been totally popular. I will say this, and some of you older folks can verify this, is that preaching has never been popular, but certainly in our own nation, it has been a little bit more accepted than it is today. There used to be a time, and again, I think these, these days are gone, but there used to be a time of the great uh, evangelistic crusades that uh, would go uh, sweep across this nation, not only in the 20th century, but in the, in the previous centuries of this country. And there was an attraction to the preaching of God's Word. It was central in the communities. And now, we're not anywhere near that. 
It's because we don't like to hear these things that are sometimes difficult, that are sometimes hard to hear. And so he was rejected. There was also, and I go to, to letter B if you're following along, the oppression of the prophet in verse 2. Again, the source of that oppression was, amazingly, the temple authority, Pashur. And what was the nature of this oppression? Well, two things. Jeremiah, first of all, was beaten. He was beaten. He was physically persecuted. Now, I, I want to thank the Lord this morning that we haven't, at least, we can praise the Lord that we haven't gotten to that point in this country yet. But let me say this, that what we've seen in the last months, in the last year, we have started, we have started to see the oppression of churches and specifically pastors. Some of you are probably aware that at least two or three pastors have been uh, incarcerated in the, the neighbors to our north in the land of Canada. And they are still having difficulties there simply because they want to do what we're doing this morning, is gather and praise the Lord and worship. Let me just say this. We had better be aware because... Many times the things that happen to our neighboring countries spill over the borders and it could come here. We'd better be aware. Oh, Pastor Greg, come on. This is the United States of America. It could never happen here. Oh, yes, it can. And it may. And we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware and put our faith in the Lord. He was beaten. He was put in stocks. This is a very interesting thing. These stocks, if you start to look up this specifically, these stocks where the prophet was confined were not only tended for restraint but for torture. In other words, if you start to look at the, the, the word here as it's defined in the Hebrew, the word for stocks here, it literally means causing distortion. In other words, he wasn't just in maybe some shackles. The idea here is that he was actually bent over double. That is how tortured he was for the faith and for the, the message that he preached. He was persecuted for his message. Well, again, very difficult. And then we see the pronouncement of the prophet. Keep in mind, number two, the pronouncement of the prophet in verses 3 through 6. Keep in mind, again, that... Here, these two points are the reason for the fact that he's in the valley. He is in a very difficult spot. He's in a low place in his life. And it seems that Isaiah spent a lot of time in the valley. And we find out the reason why. We find in verse 3, look at verse 3, and it happened on the next day that Pashur brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, The Lord has not called your name Pashur, but Magor Miss Abib. That's one to say ten times really fast. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and your eyes shall see it. I will give all Judah into the land, excuse me, the hand of the king of Babylon. And he shall carry them captive to, the, to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce, 
all its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah, I will give unto the hands of their enemies who will plunder and seize them and carry them to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon, and there you shall die and be buried there, and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. So the pronouncement by the prophet, first of all, was a personal message. It was a personal message to this temple authority. The guy's name was Peshur. It was a personal message given to him, and there was going to be a name change. And that's significant, by the way. Names were very significant in the Old Testament and, of course, in the New, but more so in the, in the old Hebrew culture, in the Old Testament, names were significant. And here he prophesies a name change, and it's very significant. And that, that name that is very difficult for us to pronounce, what does it mean? It means terror on every side. In other words, Pashur, because you have not done what you're supposed to, the Lord is going to judge. And folks, listen, we need to understand something. If we begin to get... Uh, frustrated in all the culture and all the things that we're seeing around uh, our nation and the things that we're seeing around the world, and it's easy to do so. And, I, and by the way, I tell all, uh, our people all the time, look, if we're making a steady diet of the news, no wonder we're depressed. And by the way, that includes Fox News. Okay? And here's my suggestion. We should not uh, bury our head in the sand. I'm not saying that this morning. But what I am saying is, look, look at the news, maybe look, scan the headlines, find out what's going on, and then get back in the Word and take a spiritual bath. Because after you watch the news, isn't that what you feel like you need? Some of you kid nod at me this morning, okay? All right? Absolutely. We have got to, yes, not be ignorant of the things of our culture and our world? Certainly not. We should be concerned about it. We should be uh, praying for our nation and our, our, our surrounding communities and all the things that are going on. But I believe that what we need in our nation right now is to get our focus back on the holy God that we sang about this morning. And get our minds and our hearts back on the eternal things. And not spending as much time on the temporal. How much time do we spend on the temporal things that are going to pass away? Look, all of these things that frustrate you and I. All the things that make us angry. And some of it should. We should get righteously indignant about certain things. And if we, if we, if we can never get righteously indignant, we probably don't have a pulse. But we should get righteously indignant at times. However, look, our focus, our minds, and our hearts need to be always turned back to the Lord Jesus Christ and His glorious gospel that has come into our lives and changed us for eternity. How about it, folks? How about it? It was a, so there was a name change in this personal message, and he also prophesied there would be a dreadful existence. 
And by the way, my point to all that was this, is that don't get frustrated because just like this individual, listen, God is going to judge the evildoers. In this nation and the nations around the world, all those who reject him, look, folks, my Bible tells me that God is going to judge and he is going to triumph over evil. And if you know him as Savior, guess what? You and I are on the winning side. Amen, Pastor Gray. Look, Pashur, what was, what was the dreadful existence? We see this in verse 4 and then again in verse 6. There were two things. There were, he was going to see the captivity and death of his friends, number one. How hard would that be? Number two, God was going to judge and there would be the captivity and death of his family, even worse. Very, very difficult. But it was because he had rejected God. He had not obeyed the commands of God. And there was also a national message that he gave in verse 5. There was going to be, and I just mentioned this, there was going to be the certainty of judgment. Folks, don't get discouraged. God is in control. And even after this year that we've experienced, unlike any other probably in our lifetime, folks, look... I want to encourage you this morning because God has not abdicated His throne. He's still on the throne. He's still there. He's still ruling and He's still reigning. And He's still, folks, a good God. And, of course, He was also talking about the extent of the plunder that would happen here in this message to the nation And did you notice four important words indicate the plunder that would happen in Babylon? And again, isn't it interesting that Judah had the same love affair with the things that America has a love affair with, and God was going to judge them in that area? And what was it? Wealth, (laughs) the produce, and that's not just lettuce and vegetables. That was the things that they produced as a nation. It was the, he calls it the precious things. And then the fourth one was the treasures. Isn't that interesting? The material things of life. And God was going to judge them there. Has God judged us there as a country? Yes, he's tried to get our attention many, many times. And on many occasions. And he says... That's how he's going to judge. By the way, again, I ask this question. Is that a popular message? <laughs> no. The, the, this kind of message that I'm preaching around our nation is not popular. They don't want to hear it. What we want to hear is the, the idea and, and the motivational speeches that some preachers preach. That this is your best life now. My friends, this is not your best life now. Look, the best life now is the life to come when we're in heaven with Christ. That's what we look forward to. (laughs) This isn't our best life now. And again, that's the idea of wanting to make that just that smooth, linear, no problems kind of life. And if we just think positively, it will all go away. That's That's not the way life is, is it? And now we come to the heart, and i got to hurry because my son accuses me of long-windedness, but we all know that those kind of things skip a generation, okay? <laughs> number, th- number three, 
Number three, here's the third section in verses 7 through 18, and that is the personal struggles of the prophet. Here, here is Jeremiah struggling again in the valley. He is going to traverse to the summit, but we're going to find that he doesn't stay there very long, just like life, just like life. And what we find in this section as we read it was he's giving these messages. He is, uh, and he describes what was going on here. He lays out these things before, Lord, before the Lord. It's not popular. People have not accepted what he's saying. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's suffering for it. Anyone would be discouraged in his situation. And there's the watchword. Jeremiah is in the valley, and not only that, he becomes discouraged. Now, I'll ask you a question this morning to which I already know the answer, and you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you have ever been discouraged? Okay. Here's one who experiences. We can all relate to what he's going through here. Oh, no, not the same scenario and not the same things, but we've all been in the valley of discouragement. And maybe some are like that this morning. And things were, were very difficult for him. You know, it's interesting to me that even the secular world recognizes how debilitating discouragement can be. Some of you probably are familiar, or every Christmas you, like our family... Maybe it's a tradition that you watch the, the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life. There's a very interesting conversation in the very beginning of that movie. You remember it when the angels are talking at the beginning, and it goes like this. Uh, one of the angels says, a man down on earth needs our help. Splendid. Is he sick? No worse. He's discouraged. Remember that? Isn't it interesting, again, that the world even recognizes how difficult and debilitating to life discouragement can be. And, and by the way, it is the biggest tool in Satan's toolkit to discourage Christians, or, or uh, his tool is to discourage Christians. If he can get them discouraged, then it's going to be very difficult in every other area of life. And by the way, let me add also this. It is the number one reason that pastors quit the ministry. Did you realize that? There's one denomination, I've seen these statistics for quite some time, but it says because uh, pastors get so discouraged by the things that go on within their ministry that one denomination is losing about 2000 a month. Can I say this? And I do not say this because he's my son, I, I told the Lord, if I ever guest preach anywhere, I'm going to at least say this, say this in every pulpit. Encourage your pastor. Encourage your pastor. I'm not saying stroke his ego, but I'm saying encourage your pastor. And I would say that to anybody in any church. They need it. Again, I think that Pastors, if we were to get together and we were to discuss Jeremiah, most of us would agree we feel like we are preaching in the same kind of era. Encourage 
your pastor. Encourage one another. In fact, we're commanded to do that, are we not, in Scripture? It says that we are to exhort. That means build up one another. How often? What does the writer of Hebrews say? Daily. Daily. You know what you should do is if a, if a name comes to your mind of a brother and sister in Christ in this church, send them an email or a text or whatever. It is interesting. We, can, we have all that technology, and we don't use it as we should. We use it for a lot of things, but we should be using it to build one another up and exhort one another. Say, hey, just send them a quick thing. Say, hey, I prayed for you this morning, and by the way, do it. Or, hey, you're on my mind. Is there anything I can pray with you about? That's exhorting one another daily. We need to be doing that. Building each other up in the faith. Well, here was a man who certainly needed it. But we see in verses 7 through 8, let's go through this. We see, first of all, his complaint about his message. And he turns to blaming God himself. And many times he's the easy target when we get into the very depths of our discouragement and even on the edge of depression and despair. Sometimes, though we may not voice it, our, our aim is or our, our target is God himself. Here he lays it out and says, Lord, um, I'm complaining about uh, this message that you told me or you gave me. Lord, it's not, it's not working it's not very popular. He was angry at God. He felt betrayed by God in the first part of verse 7. You ever felt that way? Again, maybe you don't voice it. Maybe you never would. But those, those thoughts have gone fleeting through our minds. God, why? Lord, it's your fault. Lord, the expectations I've had in life have not been met, and Lord, I, I think that you haven't done what you said you were going to do. Again, we may never voice that to anybody, but it goes through our minds. Certainly went through Jeremiah's. He's in the depths here. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's where you are. But we cannot blame God. And here's the reason why. I referenced it earlier. But folks, we need to understand that no matter what happens to us in this life, and no matter where we are in the valley, folks, listen. God is always good. God is always good, no matter what. The things that we experience in this life may be painful. We may struggle. We may not like the process for which He is taking us through. But God has a plan. And God has a will for our life. What else? What was another personal struggle about his message? People mocked him. Do you ever like to be mocked? I don't think there would be anyone in here who would raise their hand and say, Pastor Greg, I love when people mock me. It's so much fun. It's great. And here is one, and what does he say? He says, I am in derision daily. In other words, he's in turmoil. Why? Because everyone mocks me. He goes to one of the most difficult places in all of Jerusalem. He faithfully delivers God's message, and they mock him. They make fun of him. Folks, look, let me, let me say this too. 
when we go through struggles and trials and difficulties and the pressures that, that face us every day and we go through, again, the testings that come and they will, let us immediately think of the fact that we experience nothing in this life that our Lord did not suffer first. Was our Lord mocked? Yes, He was. In fact, He was not only mocked, He was spat upon, which is one of the greatest insults that a human can perform on another. He was beaten as well. So when we get discouraged and thinking, I'm the only one, you ever thought that? Have you ever gone through a trial and you said, you know what, Lord, the problem that I'm experiencing at the moment is unique and no one else in the history of the world has ever experienced the testing and the trial of the kind that I'm going through. You ever said that before? I have. You know what, that's not the case. Again, you start reading the Psalms. You'll find there the humanness of a man named David in many of them. And I'll just say this, David had a difficult life. But what's interesting about David is that though he was flawed as well, he always turned his focus back on God. And you read how many times in those Psalms he says, this is going on, I'm experiencing this, but Lord, I trust in you. Lord, I trust in you. Where are we in that? He was in derision daily. What else was going on him? Everyone mocks me. He says, uh, letter B, let's, let's go into that if, in your outlines if you're following along. There was a burden regarding his ministry. There was the feeling of discouragement. There was the feeling of discouragement. Look at verse 9. He had gotten to the point where he said, that's it. I'm done. He says, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire. Now, again, don't raise your hands, but have you ever gotten to a point in your life, maybe it's even in your job and employment, you said, that's it, I'm done. You're so discouraged. That's the way Jeremiah felt. He was ready to throw in the towel. He's just like us. He was tired of it all. But then we notice very quickly, and we don't know the exact time frame, but very quickly he says what? However, the word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding back, and I could not. What was it that began from the valley for him to start traversing up the slope to the summit of the mountaintop? What was it that did it? It was the Word of God. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there is nothing else that will help us reach the summit positions in our walk with God, those, those times, and they're not always there as we're, as we're saying, but what helps us reach that is going to only be the Word of God. Brad has mentioned the things that our family has gone through. And some of you have been through deep trials and deep valleys as well. And one thing that I personally discovered is that even though it was important for others to come alongside and give an encouraging word and to exhort, and that's exactly what we should do, 
There was nothing that a human could say that was going to take it away. There was nothing that a person could say that was going to completely salve the hurt and the pain and the difficulty of going through all of that. You know what I discovered? is The only thing that helped me was when I bathed in the Word of God. And then my soul was eased. My mind was at peace. And folks, it's the same with you. What was it? It was the Word of God that was ingrained in the heart of this man that began this traversal up the slope to the summit. And he began to praise God because he remembered his calling. He remembered the calling that he had way back at the beginning of his ministry. And sometimes, again, we're not all called to a pulpit ministry or a teaching ministry, but God, by the way, has called us all to do something, and you need to remember what God has called you to do and say, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for where you have brought me. You see, folks, the Word of God is indispensable to our lives, just as it was Jeremiah. And so in verses 10 through 13, he expresses confidence in God's faithfulness. And the reason for that is that he finds trust and, and again, protection in God despite his enemies and despite his betrayal by friends. He really didn't have any. And what was the result of his confidence? In verse 12, he offers a prayer And in verse 13, he offers praise to God. Isn't that interesting that he both praises praises and and, uh, praises God at the same time? And by the way, when we're right with God, that will result in both those things. Can I just ask you a question? How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? One of the things that is so sadly neglected in this nation is the prayer meeting. One of the things that we would all agree with and say, Amen, preacher, is that the thing that we need most in our lives is prayer. It's significant, it's important. And yet I'm speaking for many pastors across this nation. The most neglected service in the service of the church is the prayer meeting. And that's the thing that we need most. Now, folks, listen, can I get real practical with you for a moment? I know how it is on Wednesdays. They're tough. And you get home after a hard day, long day at work, and you crank the crank back on the lazy boy, and it's hard to crank it forward again to be on time to the prayer meeting that you have at church. But, listen, your church, my church, every church needs to be a church in prayer. You need to start coming to prayer meeting. You need to start saying, hey, this is important. Listen, will our nation as a whole get back to where it needs to be if we do not soak and saturate these things in prayer? It'll never happen. And by the way, you start studying the history of the church, you start studying the history of revivals, no revival has ever come apart than intense prayer by the church. Now I ask Christians, what is it that we want? Do we want that? When we're walking with God, when we're climbing that summit, 
prayer is going to be indispensable to that walk with God as it was here and praise. We can't wait to shout his name. Do you sometimes ride in your car and you just burst out in song? Well, do you? Okay, I, I just want to see if you're there. I know you're worried about your chicken, but it'll be fine. Okay. All right. Look, and, and some of you say, well, I'm, I, I do it in my car, Pastor Greg, because I, you know, I can't carry a tune and I just praise the Lord. Well, that's okay. You do that because he says what? Make a joyful noise. If you can't carry a tune, make a noise. And that's what it should be. <laughs> or in the shower. Whatever you want to do. It always results in that. But here's the thing. He goes to the summit. He's praising God. He's saying, I'm going to continue on. And then what happens in the last part in verses 14 through 18, he goes back down again. After all that. And you know what I say to that? That's just like life. Should he be ashamed? No. And he despairs. He bemoans his birth, the specific day of his birth, the announcer of his birth. He despairs his life and calling. He, he questions his life even. All of these things are going on in his mind just after he's been on the summit. Have you ever been there? And we say, Lord, why can't I stay here? Because of who we are. We're flesh and blood. We're weak. We're made of dust. And we don't always stay on the summit like we would like. And he goes back down again. Now, I want to say this. If that's the case with us, here's the thing that we cannot let ourselves do, and that is go completely down into the valley again as best we can. We may, and God may allow it, but we have to make sure that when we are down on the other side of the summit, that we don't beat ourselves up. Because a lot of times what we do is this. We say, well, Pastor, you know, the only thing that I'm consistent at is being inconsistent. And man, that's discouraging. Well, here's what we need to do is pick ourselves up by our bootstraps with the Holy Spirit's power. And you know what we do? We keep on going. What does the psalmist say? Even though he fall and he is not utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. He's the one that's going to keep you going. So what do we learn from this chapter? I want to give you three, or excuse me, four, four applications here real, real quick. I know I've gone through this quickly, but I don't want to get in trouble, and I would like to be asked back again at some point. So here, here's number one. God's people sometimes suffer for the Lord's sake. We know that. What does 2 Timothy 3.12 say? Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. Does that mean physically? Not necessarily. It may. But it means that we will suffer some trials and difficulties. We will suffer from the world's view of us. Do you work in a place where they kind of deride you because you're a believer? (laughs) Well, that's okay. That's all right. We should have the attitude that the apostles, that they joyed, they rejoiced in the Lord that they could suffer for the sake of the gospel. It might happen. 
Number two, God's people will experience times of elation and times of discouragement. Again, what have we said? It is the ups and downs of life that is normal. And in between those times, we have to keep our focus and our vision upon the Lord. Number three, God's calling is not always easy. God's calling is not always easy. Again, whatever your calling is, life sometimes doesn't meet our expectations. And that's why Christians get discouraged and they want to give up. But it's not our expectations that need to be met. It's God's. And we need to understand that. But God's calling isn't easy. Jeremiah lived the rest of his life and it was hard. He saw everything that he dreaded happen in his life. They all went away into captivity. There was no revival. There was no repentance. There was no reconciliation to his message. But look, the thing that we fall back upon again is God's word and his calling in our life. What has he called you to do? And I know some of the older folks in here will say, well... My calling is past. I'm retired. I don't have any... Listen, here's what you need to understand. God has kept you around and given you bonus years for a reason. If nothing else, it is to be an example to those who follow you. Those grandkids. Those great-grandkids. Okay? You say, that's my calling? If he's left you here, if he's given you those bonus years, absolutely. That's your calling. And you're to be faithful to that calling. And lastly, God is, is, God is with His people in good times and in bad times as well. If you're going through a trial, let me say this. God is, is not only still good, He's still there. And you know why? Because we have the promise in Scripture, folks, that says what? He says, I will never what? Leave you nor what? forsake you. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's bow for prayer.